Hello and welcome to Alien Places, the show that shows you don't have to think like a human. I'm Atul Kumar. Hello and uh, I'm an alien. Each episode we ask our guests which three places they would show my alien friend here to give it a sense of the key issues facing human society. It's the only podcast we know of that's co-hosted by someone from another quadrant of the multiverse. So, how are you doing today, buddy? Uh, very well, Atul. Even us aliens need to exercise, and I'm feeling great after starting my new exercise program. It's great you're looking after your health, alien. You can't put a price on having a good, healthy body. Is that just a saying, Atul? Or would you like me to uh, find the receipt from Picture to Puppet? I believe they're the company who made my brand new body with my fully functional mouth. Is that in your usual receipts drawer, Atul? Uh, shall I go and get it now? Uh, no, no, alien, that's okay. Uh, stay here. And uh, besides, that's commercially sensitive information. Pardon? Never mind. Anyway, Alien, look, we have a podcast episode to record and we have a very special guest for today's episode. Uh, You're right, we have a blooming marvellous guest for today's episode. Blooming marvellous. Is that a reference to the guest we've got for today's episode, Alien? Yes, it is at all. It's called a pun. I am learning human humour. Blooming marvellous. See? (laughs) Well, I get it, Alien but it only really makes sense for our listeners if you hurry up and actually introduce today's guest so that they can get the pun as well. Oh, right, oh, official guest introduction time. Benjamin Forks is an actor, writer, and presenter who is perhaps uh, best known for creating and presenting the award-winning CBeebies brand, Mr. Bloom's Nursery, which has aired across the UK, Europe, Australia, Canada, Latin America, Asia, and many other places on your tiny planet. Mr. Bloom had five series and made Ben the winner of a Royal Television Society Award for Best Preschool Live Action and was BAFTA nominated several times. Ben has founded production companies such as Egg Power Productions, Plunge Bloom, and an educational resource called Let's Grow, which teaches small humans how to look after plants and vegetables, as well as other early learning goals, such as making relationships and being imaginative. But perhaps most importantly of all, Ben has been friends with Atoll since they were four years old at primary school in Cornwall, and Atoll had gelled, spiky hair. Uh, how was that, Atoll? That was a very good introduction. Thank you, Alien. And welcome, Ben Fawkes, to Alien Places. Hey, thanks for having me. Something I ask all my guests now on Alien Places, is that your first experience of being introduced by an alien from another part of the multiverse? It certainly is, and quite the introduction as well. Well done, Alien. Nicely done. Uh, Thank you, Benjamin. The alien's taking a bow there for listeners, by the way. So did the alien get all the details right about your background there? He certainly did. Um, And most importantly, as as he pointed out, um, you and I grew up together in the 80s um, and yeah known each other since the age of four when we were teeny tiny um, coming into reception in Mrs Crosby's class. Mrs Crosby was that the name wow wow that's really uh, taking me back it's always great to catch up with you Ben and always great to talk it's amazing these uh, sort of long-term friendships and how they develop and, and change over the years. Yeah that's it and then Mrs Philby, Miss Forrester, Mr Long, and Mr. Wilcox. Mr. Wilcox. The coolest yeah, teacher in town. <laughs> yeah, the cool teacher in our final year at primary school. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Hoban, who's the headmaster as well. Yes. A bit scary. 
bit scary. And we're talking, I mean, I tell my kids ask me about this. This is, you know, in the age of the slipper. <laughs> Beware the slipper. Yeah, because we're, we're sort of, yeah, 41, 42. And mm. the slipper was a normal thing back then. So, yeah, lucky kids now not, not to be afraid of that. Yeah, I mean, but I, I, you know, I never got the slipper, but I always imagined it as like a really fluffy pink grandma's slipper for some reason. In my, in my head, it was just this really soft, like really comfortable granny slipper. I don't know what it looked like in reality. Yeah, do you know what? I never got the slipper as well. So maybe, maybe no one actually got the slipper and it was more the fear of the slipper than yeah, the fear. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that was the tactic. Yeah. And uh, of course, particularly when we were in our final year at primary school, I certainly had a lot of gelled spiky hair. Can you remind yeah. me um, what you did with, with the gel? Well, you know, you, you were setting the bar really high because you, your hair was immense. It was so it was so spiky. It gave you at least probably four inches of height. Um, and we would all try. Um, I, I did I did purchase some graphics gel, um, try as I might to get my hair spiky, but I just couldn't pull it off. And uh, I think I had to step, settle for getting a step instead. Um, a step? Can yeah. You remember can you remember what, what, what step was? It's when you kind of get an undercut, like shaved around the, your ear and then back around and and or a wedge where it just kind of cut oh, into yeah. the back of your hair and so you'd have like a tear tear system <laughs> um <laughs> i, I that, remember the wedge so the step was yeah so yeah so, so the step was basically a straight line no that that was the wedge that was just the wedge the step would would start where you know if you're wearing spectacles where your spectacle arms are and then just follow down and around and uh chrissy bray's mum uh who would cut our hair um she I remember she she did she gave me my first <laughs> my first wedge <laughs> brilliant uh, not not to be mistaken with a wedgie which was also around at the time but something very different very different indeed Brilliant. Okay, so can we start by asking you more about the character you created, Mr. Bloom? Uh, where did the idea come from and how did you bring it to children's television? Sure. So I um, so I work as an actor, a writer, a producer, and um, I wrote a theatre show about a, a gardener who uh, looked after baby fruits and vegetables. So it was a, it was a touring theatre show. I had this big pram, like an Adams Family pram, full of baby fruits and vegetables, and they all had names. And um, I toured that show for a good few years. And then when uh, we had um, our daughter was born, I started watching CBBS, as a lot of people do. Um, and I noticed that there was no content on the channel which had uh, baby vegetables or baby fruits. So I pitched the idea and uh, luckily it was the right thing at the right time for, for CBeebies. And so um, Mr. Bloom was commissioned. And so that was my first foray into um, writing and uh, delivering uh, content for, for TV. So, um, you know, luckily as well, we had a great team um, producing it and, uh, and it went from strength to strength. So, we, we made a bunch of series. The character went on to feature on a raft of other CBBs, CBBC content, and it opened up uh, many doors. And I mean, that's, I spent, you know, the best part of 10 years now um, working with that brand and uh, of, of it evolving. And um, yeah, it's, it's gone from strength to strength. 
That's amazing. And th- just going back to that initial pitch, um, was that just like PowerPoint or uh, Word documents? And did you have a contact at the BBC to to send that document to? Um, so I was lucky enough that I knew somebody in the BBC and I was able to arrange, I basically brought the show in. So I, I kind of turned, it was pre-arranged and I turned up with a pram full of baby vegetables, <laughs> gave a demonstration and then that's, and, um, and a, you know, a, a pitch, a pitch document. And then that just opened the door really, because then we went into development. So they, cause we spent maybe nine months of me on the Megabus going down from Manchester to London, maybe three times a week, uh, back and forth, back and forth, and just working up the idea and trying different angles. We made a, a pilot or like a little music, like a vegetable music video, which was fun. And uh, and it took three three pitches, really, um, of, of varying um, degrees to different people. Um, and then finally, the third pitch, we, we pitched to the commissioner. And uh, uh, yeah, so it, all in all, it's about a year's worth of Megabus trips. Great to hear the, uh, the, the detail there and, and to drill down into that a bit. Um, I'm sure listeners will find that really fascinating. I was watching an episode of uh, Mr. Bloom Here and There, so one of your sort of spin-offs, um, and uh, you were doing some kick sampling with the little tiddlers at the River Carron in Scotland. And I noticed Mr. Bloom's green car has a number plate that spells out broccoli, which was a, a sort of a detail that made me laugh. And I, I love the innocence of things like that in children's television. And I'm interested, did you have input into all those details as well as the song lyrics and the scripts? How, how did that work? Yeah, so we were, I mean, fortunate enough to have like a fantastic producer who, who went on to be the series producer, John Hancock. And so I... You know, I brought the idea to the BBC, but I didn't have any skills in producing um, TV content. Um, so um, I came in with a creative brief and then we we worked it up and uh, developed it into what would become Mr. Bloom's Nursery. And as a result, um, every, you know, the whole team was encouraged to, to have creative input in, in all manner of respects so when it came to the number plate it's uh, it was an opportunity too good to to pass up and so you know for, for that for for that purpose john would say right we've got, we're going to have a, a number plate what can it be vegetable puns um you know please sub- make your submissions and so i can't i can't remember who, who came up with the with the broccoli uh, number plate but that was a, an example of just the inclusivity um that was that abounded on on the production and uh, and yeah, it was it was a great way to to kind of learn the craft of producing uh, for for TV. Yeah, it's sort of one example of the collaborative nature of these things that you don't rely on just one person to come up with all the ideas. Once you're in there and you're you're you've got a team around you, then you know it could be anyone in the team that comes up with these these little ideas, these little puns, and it just makes it a much richer experience. It's just one of the details that made it such a great show. Yeah, and I, I think that's you know you can apply that to many many. Uh, aspects of life the devil's in the detail and it's all about going the extra mile to just put those nuggets nuggets in there yeah and can you tell us a little more about your expeditions with margaret the cabbage and colin the runner bean and your composterium yeah so the expeditions were in series three when we kind of went out and about the the idea was that mr bloom's um was had a traveling fate and so we actually did we traveled to five different areas of the UK um, and this was in conjunction with BBC Learning we put on big large-scale events um, for the public 
and uh, with lots of entertainment workshops, activities. And then we also filmed at them. So um, on this series, we, we went to Cornwall, Scotland. We went all over the place, actually. And then each episode would have us in the compo car driving off um, to find out something which was relevant to that uh, area and that episode. And so in terms of the expedition, it was always one, for, for whatever reason, there was only one car seat in the car. So you had to choose one of the veggies to come. And uh, so it was it was a, uh, yeah, a, a kind of a guessing game of who's, who's going to come along in this episode. And we brought Compo as, along as well. Compo was fitted into uh, the Bloommobile um, in the back there. So compost-powered car, which, uh, you know, it's all good for the environment. So yeah, your compostarium was uh, mobile and pairing the uh, Mr. Bloom mobile. That's it, yeah. Uh, now, now, Benjamin, obviously I'm not a puppet, I'm a real alien, but um, is Margaret a real talking cabbage and is Colin a real talking wannabean or were they uh, puppets talking vegetables? Well, alien, I mean, this is, you'll have to keep a secret here, okay, but uh, the... Margaret and Colin were puppets. They, yeah, I know. Really? Shocking, shocking. But um, yeah, you know, the veggies, very special characters. And uh, and we had a wonderful uh, puppet designer in Neil Sterenberg who, who did the designs and uh, made them and also operated them uh, on occasion as well. So they are puppets, but don't tell anyone. Okay, it's our secret, Benjamin. Ben, you've had a chance to think about the three places, songs and films that you'd show the alien. So let's get into the first of your three alien places. Okay, so first place we're going alien um, is to the Galapagos Islands. Oh, hooray! Yeah, yeah. I mean, now I, you know, I'm saying this, I've never been, I would love to go, simply love to go, but it's a very famous place um, where Charles Darwin, who came up with a, a interesting theory of evolution um uh i think he spent some time there and it's just like an absolute fountain of life there's so many different species so many different habitats it's like an absolute crucible of uh, different life yeah species and uh, all things good so i can't think of anywhere on earth which is more positively abundant with all fantastic life forms than the Galapagos Islands. But, you know, I've never been, so I'm hoping it's an excuse where you'll take me in your spaceship. Yeah, I mean, that's where Charles Darwin was famously formulating his ideas of evolution. And specifically, it was the sort of the fact that their islands meant that um, certain species were isolated on each of the different islands, which meant that there was a more clear kind of separate evolutionary path. So that's why there's there's such a wide variety of biodiversity at the Galapagos Islands. So yeah, that's a really great place to, to take the alien to kind of show how life has been evolving on our planet, because perhaps life has been evolving in a different way on the alien's planet. Yeah. And I think Leonardo DiCaprio, isn't he doing something at the moment? Um, investing in, uh, you know, safeguarding the Galapagos Islands. Did I read that? Yeah, possibly. He's very, he's very much involved in the environmental sector. He's got his own foundation. He does a lot of talks and is, is very kind of passionate about the environment. So um, I hadn't heard that specific thing, but if so, that's great. It wouldn't surprise me. And uh, good, good for Leo. Yeah. Yeah.
And what about the song that you would play the alien at the Galapagos Islands? Okay, so we're going to need a big sound system because we're going to be playing the Guns N' Roses cover of Live and Let Die, um, made famous, you know, by uh, the James Bond film. But I think the reason why I picked this song to play, apart from it's a, it's a great introduction to Guns N' Roses, Alien, is that uh, the, just the, the theme of it, Live and Let Live, Live and Let Die, in somewhere like the Galapagos Islands, you've just got nature, which is, you know, untouched by, by human intervention and everything that humans do. We like to kind of meddle around and control things. And so here you've got, um, you know, life happening as it happens. And that's just, I think, absolutely fantastic. And it's nice to have a place on Earth where things just live and then they die and then they just crack on. Uh, yes, that's a, that's a very good message for humans, because uh, uh, the thing is, humans keep messing around with the wildlife and biodiversity. And um, if they just live and let live, uh, then uh, maybe humans would have fewer problems. Maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I think there's it's, it's a great um, it's it's a it's a way of doing things, which I think we, you know, less is more. What you're saying there kind of chimes with the current discussions around rewilding. And the idea that actually when humans try and tinker with things and try and recreate the specific balance of an ecosystem, it's very unlikely that they're going to get it right. And actually mm. the idea of rewilding is to just say, OK, just let it live, set aside some area to just let nature do its own thing. And that's brilliant, Ben, because I'd never thought of associating the rewilding concept with the song Live and Let Die. What a brilliant connection there. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. And what about the film that you'd show the aliens? So you're in the Galapagos Islands, you set up a little uh, makeshift cinema in your surroundings. What film would you show the alien? Um, so we're going to have a um, going to have one of my favourite films, and the film that I have chosen uh, is Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now this is Arnold Schwarzenegger in his absolute prime. It's 1987, and um, he is absolutely ripped in the jungle with all his buddies facing off against an alien. Okay. And, and this alien, you know, is an absolute monster. Yeah. Wait, is, is, is Arnie going to harm me as well, Benjamin? No, 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 no. This is, we're talking a very different alien here. Oh, okay. But essentially, yeah, essentially it's um, two, well, I guess, yeah, yeah. It's like the finest specimen of a human in Arnold Schwarzenegger. Nobody can touch him in 1987, facing off against the deadliest foe. And so, again, it's chiming in with, uh, you know, the, the song of Guns N' Roses, Live and Let Die. It's just nature getting on with itself. And I won't tell you what happens, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a thrilling climax and uh, a great introduction to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he was absolutely in his prime in 1987, wasn't he? I mean, he'd just won Mr. Universe titles or sort of equivalent uh, global accolades. He, he just recently moved into acting and was uh, still absolutely in his prime and fighting against a, a very aggressive alien, which is very different to the alien that we have here. But it does go to show that um, not all aliens are the same. Um, there's biodiversity out there in terms of aliens, as well as biodiversity on this planet as well. Yeah, very true. Very true.
Uh, now, Alien, I know that you're working on your impressions of humans. Would you like to try the most famous line from Ben's first Alien film, Night Predator? Uh, you first, please, Atul. Uh, then I'll try it. Get to the chopper. You try it, Alien. Uh, uh, get to the chopper? Uh, Benjamin, you have a go. We need a method of getting to our second place anyway, uh, so why not helicopter? Uh, Benjamin, over to you. Okay, here we go. Get to the chopper! <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, let's try it all together on the countdown from three. Three, two, one. Get, get to the, the chopper! So we got to the chopper at the Galapagos Islands, and where do we go next for your second of your three alien places, Ben? Unlike the Galapagos Islands, this is somewhere that I have been to, and it's a place called London. Okay. Oh. Yep. Well, I like I like London. I have been once before, uh, but uh, it's a big place, so uh, let's go again, Benjamin. Great. Yeah, sure. So London is a city. It's the capital of England, and. It's an incredible city. It's massive. It's grown and grown and grown and continues to grow. And I think, Alien, it's important that while you see somewhere like the Galapagos Islands, which is, you know, nature at its best, at its most preserved and wildest, it's important that you see what humans can do as well. And they build cities and cities. London's a great example of you know, somewhere that was small, uh, that has grown in size and grown in numbers and grown in buildings and everything that comes with it. And, you know, it's quite shocking. I mean, the first time I went to London, I was blown away. I was absolutely, uh, terrified is not the right word, but overwhelmed because there's so much going on. And I think it's important that you see what can what humans can do and uh, and reflect on that because there's lots of positives um, about a city like London, uh, but there's also complications and possibly some negatives as well. So I'll be interested to see what you think. Uh, yes, uh, I agree with the idea that there's positives and negatives to cities. I mean, at least with all those people uh, living in high-rise buildings, it takes up a bit less land. Uh, so that's a positive. Uh, but on the negative, uh, the air is a bit polluted there. I mean, I breathe through my skin and I was getting quite a lot of pollution through my skin. It, it made me choke a bit, to be honest, Benjamin. Yeah. Actually, when I... Oh, wait, I can't remember when it was, but I when I went there for... Uh, I don't know. It was years and years ago, but um, I got London nose. Did you get London nose? Uh, yes, this is when you uh, blow your nose into a tissue and it comes out all black and snotty. Yeah, I thought I was I thought I was getting ill, but apparently that's just, you know, the air pollution there um, can can cause that. So that's, yeah, an example of, yeah, some of the the kind of the negative aspects, I guess, of living in a city like London. So you're going around London with with the alien. And um, are there any specific areas that you take the alien, any specific sites or specific buildings that you'd go to? Um, I think, well, you'd have to start off by going to see, I mean, just go and see Big Ben, which is like one of the iconic, uh, yeah, an iconic building, um, right in the heart of London. And, uh, and one thing that I like to do in London is just walk because there's, you know, you can just walk and walk and walk and, uh, and see all sorts of different sites um and i think yeah we'd start off at big ben and then just 
pick a direction and go from there. And just whenever we get to a junction, make another decision. It's, it's just good fun wandering around London sometimes without a, uh, an end goal in sight. You find a bench in London and you put some earphones on the alien. What song would you play the alien on a bench in London? Okay, so we're going to be sticking with the Guns N' Roses theme here because I'm going to play you Welcome to the Jungle. Oh. Yes. We've got fun and games for you, Mr. Alien. Yeah. Welcome to the jungle. So is, is, is London a, a, an urban jungle, Benjamin? Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. So that's um, the phrase sometimes, urban jungle. Whereas here you've got, um, yeah, so much life kind of just like on top of each other, whether it's in traffic or crowds of people. Um, and so I think, yeah, the urban jungle is welcoming you to London. Um, and there's uh, lots of fun and games to be had. So a bit of an upbeat Guns N' Roses number to get us uh, um, <laughs> get us just messing around in London. Yeah, oh, all right, all right. Uh, thank you for the welcome uh, through the song Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. And uh, what about the film that you show the alien while you're in London? Okay, so we're gonna again we're, we're sticking with the the Arnold Schwarzenegger theme here. I think there's a there's a lot we can learn from the guy. Um, we're gonna go with his 1987. Some would call it a classic. Some would call it a miss. But uh, it's called The Running Man. Okay, it's based on a really well. It's based on a uh, book by Stephen King, and it's a interesting film because it's set in a dystopian future okay so it's in the future 2017 and luckily this hasn't happened to the world just yet but it's set in a city in 2017 where um the, you know the future's bad people aren't happy people are upset people are fighting and arnold schwarzenegger plays a character called ben who he's a policeman and he, he gets framed and he has to go on this terrible um, game show called the running man where he has to run for his life and i won't tell i won't spoil the ending but um it's a it's a really interesting look at i guess the future a city where things aren't going right so i think it's a uh, it's a good lesson of what to avoid in the future yeah it's interesting isn't it that a lot of films set in the future are quite dysopian it's relatively rare to see a film set in the future that's very happy. And I suppose it's because by definition, where's the conflict if you, if you write a film where everything's going right in the future. So I, I guess there's a self-selecting process there whereby a feature film's more likely to be made if there's real conflict and there's real dystopia in, in the future. Yeah. And I think also the, what's interesting as well is that, I mean, we're quite used to the notion of a dystopia now, but like when, when it was written, it, like dystopian futures weren't really much of a much of a thing really and i think you know stephen king went a long way to kind of carving out that um yeah that trope i guess mm. yeah and uh, it, it's also interesting that that was set in the year 2017 which is of course now in our past so there's another interesting element that some of the predictions that were happening 30 odd years ago, um, things have not quite got that bad because I mean, in the film, The Running Man, um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the whole 
premise of the film is that it's a very kind of bad situation where people have lost their humanity effectively and they're mm-hmm. making people go on game shows as if they're animals essentially and um, I suppose there's a positive in there that we haven't got to that point at least. Yeah there's, there's not men on motorcycles with chainsaws people um, are not wearing those crazy lycra skin tight skin suits. Um, Which so- is probably the worst the most disturbing element of the film. Yeah, indeed, indeed. But, uh, but you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger does a fine job in pulling it off and of, you know, righting the wrongs at the end. Yeah, brilliant. And, uh, uh, Athol, uh, Benjamin, Athol, uh, Benjamin, listen, uh, I liked getting to London by helicopter. Uh, can we get to the chopper again to get to our third place? OK, Alien, as long as we all say the Arnie quote again together on the countdown from three. Ready? Three, two, one. Get, get to the, the chopper! chopper! So we got to the chopper in London, and where do we go next for your third of your three alien places, Ben? Okay, last of all, we're going to a place where Atoll and I grew up, and it is Cornwall, the county of Duchy of Cornwall, which is down in the southwest of the UK. Cornwall is a fantastic county. It's absolutely beautiful. And the reason I take you there is because it does a bit of everything. And I think if you've got the Galapagos Islands, which are pristine nature at its most abundant, you've got London, where you've got man-made, uh, yeah, man-made matter in complete abundance everywhere you go. Um, then Cornwall does a really interesting job. I think it's got some of the most beautiful beautiful natural spots in the world it's got coast it's got moors it's got woodland it's got mines it's got there's so much going on there and i think that in cornwall you can have the best of both worlds you can have access to nature and you can have access to um yeah i mean it's got a city it's not as big as london but i think it strikes a perfect balance of life yeah, it was a, it was great to grow up there, wasn't it, Ben? Because you know we had, we went to a primary school where we had a field, you know, and and we could run around on the field, and and not all schools have that in in places like London. So it, it's great to grow up in the fresh air, um, and also that kind of that feeling of safety and security, which maybe you don't get in in larger cities and larger larger places. Yeah, it was a brilliant place to grow up. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. It's a, it's a fantastic place. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to going to Cornwall. Uh, can we get a pasty when we're there? Absolutely, you have to. I mean, this Cornwall has, you know, for a type for a small county, has done so many things throughout history. Um, Something, you know, I think pasties have to rank as one of the, the finest exports um, of of uh, of Cornwall because it was the first the first fast food. It was food that was, you know, you could uh, put it in your pocket, take it wherever you need it, eat it, and then throw away the handle. What's not to like? Wasn't it initially designed for miners so that you can, you, you've got a meal and a third of it was kind of the dessert, the apple crumble or whatever in the, in the final third of the pasty. And it was a ha- handy way to have your lunch um, all in one wrapping, as it were, down in, down in the Cornish mines. Yeah, I believe so. 
And uh, also in terms of more recent excavation, if you like, within Cornwall, it's becoming increasingly important for lithium mining, which is uh, an important substance for electric cars, electric vehicles. And if you think about how important electric vehicles are going to be in future, then Cornwall is potentially going to have another boom in terms of being a source of this vital mineral of lithium. Hey, well, that's good news. Yeah, good news for, for Cornwall. You're, you're in Cornwall, you're in uh, St Ives, looking over the beach at St Ives uh, with the alien here. And what song would you play the alien? Um, well, we've had two Guns N' Roses, so we may as well have a third because you can't go too wrong with Guns N' Roses. We're going to have Paradise City because it's a lovely, optimistic song, which uh, combines, I mean, for me, it's just, it's a sunny day song. And uh, Axel Rose, is he's given it well, he's given it all he's got, you know, and... Uh, it's a song which I think, again, it just combines the idea of nature and uh, man-made stuff into, into one fantastic cracking number. So I hope you enjoy it. I had a little listen, Ben, and it's a real belter, so thank you very much. <laughs> Good. What about the film that you would show The Alien in Cornwall? Um, so the film, um, and again, we're going we're gonna to close out our uh, film watching with a classic Arnold Schwarzenegger movie because, you know, why not? And uh, this would be, it's an earlier one. It's 1985's Commando. Now, Arnold, had, he, he hadn't done many films up until this point, uh, but I think he gives one of his best acting performances in Commando. Basically, he plays um, a character called John and he's like a crack commando, hence the name of the, um, of the film. And, but the film starts and his daughter gets kidnapped. Yeah. And so I know it's, it's terrifying. And he's only got a really short window of time to rescue her before the kidnappers do something terrible. So he goes on an absolute like mission and I still, when, whenever I watch it, I just don't know how he does it. He's, he's like climbing into planes. He's jumping out of planes. He's ripping seats out of cars. There's, there's everything in this film. There's, there's action, there's romance, there's peril. Um, and, you know, there's the coastline, there's forest. It's got, every, it's got everything you need. And so, again, on the theme of Cornwall, of just having so much abundance of you know the best the best in the world um uh i think for me commando um and you might not agree but um commando does that for me yeah i mean the thing i love about these 80s films is is that they did have a bit of everything didn't they they were really going for the well-rounded approach to filmmaking where it's got as you say action romance explosions sensitivity in there as well with his daughter um you really kind of get a bit of everything and also something that really stands out for me with these big 80s films um, is the background music the background music is such a big part of these 80s films there wasn't the internet so these these big films were you know a major part of our childhood weren't they absolutely yeah and still to this date uh I don't think anyone has dispatched the final villain, the villain of the film or the, you know, the big boss 
nobody's dispatched the villain of a film by throwing a, a like a drain pipe through them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really creative uh, way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. I, I just love the creative ways that they dispatched of the villains. And then Arnie had some uh, brilliant, concise line at the end of it. So didn't he throw the pipe through the villain? and into a sort of a steam container yeah. behind yeah, yeah, the yeah. villain. And so the steam was coming through the container, through the pipe, through the villain's body, and out of the villain. And so, so, so Arnie says, let off some steam. Yeah, that's it, <laughs> let off some steam, Bennett. <laughs> yeah. And the guy on the plane as well, when he, he kind of, he does, he gets him in a neck cold and does some jiggery-pokery, and then puts a blanket over him and just says to an air hostess before he jumps out the plane, don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. And then yeah. the other guy, he's, he's dangling him over the uh, the coastline by one leg. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, you, 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 you said you were going to kill me last. And Arnie just says, I lied. I'm cold. Stone cold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So um, all three of your Alien film nights are Arnie 1980s films. So can you tell us a bit more about what those Arnie 80s films mean to you and what, what an alien could learn from them? Where else are you going to go but, you know, the governator? He's, uh, I mean, outside of his acting pedigree, he's a really inspiring person just because uh, of what he's done with his life. He's... He, kind of exudes positivity and uh i don't know how many people in the world can say that you know they're bodybuilding champions they're like million dollar grossing actors they are politicians uh they are activists and the list goes on so he's an example of somebody who not only has done some incredible film work uh but someone who's taken life He's someone who's taken life by the scruff of the neck and absolutely ran with it. Brilliant, yeah. I mean, Arnie is the, he's the only person in the Alien Places book that I really gave a proper case study of around what they've really done with their lives. And the Alien and I go to Los Angeles and I show a photo of Arnie in his bodybuilding prime to the Alien with a, a bicep dominating the photo. And then the Alien looks from that photo to um, another man walking down the street who's not quite in good shape and and the alien asks me if they're the same species. It's just a great way of showing to an alien what the difference can be made in a person's life. If they dedicate themselves, they, they really go for it on, on hard work. It's such a visible embodiment of hard work to see what, what Arnie did with his body, but also what he did with his life in terms of going on to acting and, and then being a politician. And Arnie is a real inspiration for me personally as well, because I went on a 12-hour psychology course in Darwin in Australia, soon after my geography degree. And the person running the course said to everyone after an hour or so, they said, okay, just stop and think for five minutes, what would be your absolute ideal life? And I had my geography degree, but I thought, okay, forget that. What would be the best thing I could possibly imagine? And it was to be an actor in a film with Arnie, bursting through a door and getting the bad guys and I, and I thought, well, where's this acting ambition coming from? But I just thought, if I'm really honest with myself, that's the most fun thing I can possibly imagine. And so that's what inspired me to uh, go for it with acting as, as a sort of parallel career to my environmental career. Nice, nice. Can you tell us a bit more about what Guns N' Roses means to you and perhaps what an alien could learn from them? 
Guns N' Roses, again, rooted firmly in the 80s. Um, I remember Joe Kent bringing to, get, uh, bringing to school the, um, the single for uh, Paradise City when it was released, and us pouring over the, uh, the vinyl artwork. Um, and they are a band that have stood the test of time, and I think you can learn a lot from Axl Rose's uh, costume changes during, during gigs. You can learn a lot from Slash um, and his expert guitar playing. And uh, yeah, they're just a, a band as well. <laughs> Not in the same way as Arnold Schwarzenegger, but took life by the scruff of the neck and ran with it. Yeah, I think it was that energy and that real kind of enthusiasm and positivity and just completely going for it. And I think that's the thing that I learned from some of the examples you've, you've given there from the 80s of taking life and just absolutely going for it. And it's such a positive message. So, so thanks, Ben, for, for, for bringing that out to, from this conversation with the alien. Good stuff. Good stuff. So do you have an alien action, a positive environmental action that you either do yourself or that you'd recommend that you think the alien would be doing on a sustainably managed planet? Um, well... I, one thing that I am able to do um, is, and one thing that I will, I do do at any given opportunity is rather than, if I can, rather than take the train or the car or whatever, I will ride a bike. I'll ride a bike here, there and everywhere um, because I like riding bikes, but also because I love getting somewhere under my own steam and you're not relying on a steam engine or you know throwing uh fossil fuels into a car and so what i'd do is i'd urge you alien to first of all do your cycling proficiency which is very important and then so i need to learn the rules of your roads on your planet yes because it is very important you've got to be safe but i think i mean imagine yeah imagine if more people rode bikes than took cars i think you i cannot imagine the world would be worse off if that was the case. So get a bike, bike it. Yeah, that's a great example because not only is it good for the environment, but it's also good for people's health. And I think it's always sensible to highlight examples where actually, even if you don't care about the environment, just ride a bike when it's safe and where it's safe for your own health. What happens in the environmental sector often is that what is best for your own health does actually turn out to be best for the environment as well. So you're, you're, you're burning calories, you're staying fit and healthy, you're improving your cardiovascular fitness, probably making yourself live longer. And also as a secondary benefit, if you want to think of it that way, it's also good for the planet, good for the environment and putting less pollution into the atmosphere. So oh, wow. uh, that's a great alien action. And uh, yes, uh, on my planet as well, we, we do uh, exercise. We need to exercise. Some people forget that about aliens, uh, but we do need to exercise as well. My bike has three wheels, actually, not like human bikes with two wheels. Anyway, yes, we cycle as much as we can. So uh, that's a very good alien action, Benjamin. Good, good. And I'm sure you could get under two wheels. It just takes a bit of practice, that's all. Well, will you teach me, Benjamin? I'll give it my best shot, yeah. Benjamin Fawkes is going to teach Alien how to ride a bike. That's a great outcome from today's podcast, Atoll. I'm glad you think so, Alien. Ben, where can listeners find your websites or find you on social media? 
So I, um, I have a website, which is www.benfolks.co.uk. And that has basically all of my, all of my work on there. Um, current, past, uh, future. Um, and then there's also plungeboom.com. Plungeboom is my theatre company. Um, and that has details of all the shows that we offer. And then there's also letsgrow.org.uk, which is the online educational resource that we're developing for um, early years settings, um, which is in line with the EYFS. And it's not we're, we're currently finishing it off, but it's going to be available later on this year. So EYFS, could you uh, just uh, spell out that acronym for, yep. for listeners? So that's the early years foundation uh, stage. Um, and what we've done is we've taken, you know, over over 16 years worth of theatre practice and user testing and used it to create a educational resource um, for teachers to use in their setting. Yeah, brilliant. And so this is all aligned with the early education goals and the curriculum and that kind of thing. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Great. So it just remains for me to thank you, Ben Forks, for sharing with us your three alien places. Uh, yes, uh, thank you very much, Benjamin Forks. Bye. Cool beans. So, Alien, what did you think of that interview with Ben Forks? Uh, well, I like the sound of going to the Galapagos Islands to see how evolution works on your planet, asshole. And I'm looking forward to learning how to ride a human bicycle, being taught by Mr. Bloom himself. I bet he's a blooming good teacher, Ethel. Blooming good. Get it? Get it? Ah, do you get it, Ethel? Yes, I get it, Alien. And I'm glad that Mr. Bloom will be teaching Alien a very low-carbon method of transport. And what did you think of Ben's Alien playlist and Alien film nights? Well, your discussion with Benjamin Fawkes was very interesting there, Atoll. If all humans really throw themselves into their tasks like Guns N' Roses and Arnie did in their songs and films, then uh, maybe this planet would be a bit different. And how's your Arnie impression coming along, Alien? I overheard you practicing a variation of it in the shower the other day. Oh yes, uh, sorry about that. So let's hear it, you know, his most famous line that he says in several films, including The Running Man and Commando, two of Ben's alien film lights. But you made a little adjustment to it, didn't you, Alien? You know, I'll be back, Bloom. You tried, Alien! Uh, okay, well, uh, this is not our last podcast, so I'll be back, Bloom!